0: Welcome to Be Happy, a podcast by the Hepatitis B Foundation, where we talk about all things related to Hepatitis B. It's your hosts, Evangeline.
1: And Bright.
0: And today we are talking about mental health and Hepatitis B. This episode, will talk about sensitive topics related to mental health. So if you're not in the right headspace to listen to this episode, this might be a good time to pause. Today, we are joined with David, a Just Be Storyteller with the Foundation, And of course, he wears many hats. So, David, please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself.
2: Thank you, Evangeline and Bright, and to everyone listening. My name is David Yurek. I'm 33 years old, and I live in a town called Ypsilanti, which is in the state of Michigan in the United States. I work as a direct patient care staff supervisor, which essentially entails working with a developmentally disabled individual and helping coordinate his day-to-day activities and to coordinate staff alongside with that. I'd say my hobbies include a lot of recreational activities. I love to be outside. I love to garden. I love to kind of just go on hikes throughout the many trail systems that are located around where I live. On the other hand, I also love to, let's say, tap the adrenaline a little bit and do some extreme activities, which include rollerblading through some local skate parks that are available for the public to use and kind of just testing my, my abilities through that medium. I'm currently living uh, in a two-bedroom apartment with my wonderful partner, Gabriella, who I've been together with for almost three years now. We have two cats that live with us named Soupy and Mergo, who are currently watching me do this podcast right now. It's just a nice, quiet life that I live with, with her and, and my friends and family. And I mostly keep things close to home, but I do tend to go on adventures sometimes.
0: Oh, that sounds great. Sounds like you live a very serene yet adventurous life. Thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast. Let's get started with the first question. So, in your Just Be story, you mentioned you had a series of questions reacting to receiving your initial diagnosis of hepatitis B, like dating, achieving your goals, and having a support system. I was wondering if you could expand on this.
2: Yeah, sure. So, my initial diagnosis happened when I was 13 years old. I was in eighth grade in middle school, which is the um, transitionary period between grammar school and high school in the United States. And I was struggling with a lot of issues that people around that, that age deal with. Um, as far as puberty goes, I was starting to have a lot of, a lot of questions as, just in regards to how my life was going to look like in high school. So these questions had already sort of been circling within my my mind even before my initial diagnosis. But once that diagnosis happened, all those questions were still there, but they had something added to them, which was the fact that I was diagnosed with hepatitis B. So all my perceptions and the way I thought about all these kind of questions I was already asking myself, they changed quite a bit after I was diagnosed. I started to kind of approach these questions as sort of from a fear-based standpoint to where once I was diagnosed with Hep B, it sort of tainted every thought I had about my future and how I was going to go about getting through high school and sort of keeping up with all my social connections at that time, which is a pretty huge part of your life when you're 13. So it was kind of tough for me to even kind of formulate the questions i had specifically i remember it was just sort of a lot of thinking to myself that dating or social situations in high school parties for example would just be so much more stressful that was always a kind of a big thing i was into at that age was kind of exploring like my friendships with different peer groups and i just felt a huge connection to my social life at that point and all of the fears i had during that diagnosis, it was kind of an interesting scenario because I had the hepatologist telling me all of the clinical details and medically related facts I needed to know about Hep B. And that was very important for me to hear. But at that age, I think my main focus was on the social aspects of how this was going to affect my life. And I didn't exactly know what my support system even looked like. I had my parents and my friends and my family before that diagnosis. But after that diagnosis, I didn't really know where I stood. I, I mean, I knew for sure my mom and dad were, were supporting me the whole way because they were the ones that, that took me to the clinic. And they, they had been so supportive up till that point, uh, just in general as parents. But um, I didn't know where I would stand with my My friends, my teachers, possibly. And my mind just started racing ahead into the future, which tends to happen a lot when someone is in distress, as far as anxiety and thinking about a specific thing that's happening to them. And I started to project a lot of these fears into the future and things that hadn't even happened yet. So essentially, the list of questions I had reacting to this diagnosis just were, I mean, they're probably in the hundreds, honestly. So it was almost impossible to pin which questions were bothering me the most down so that I could have those answered for me in some way.
0: Right. It sounds like you already had these questions in your head, you know, as a 13 year old, just you know, regarding your future and maybe out of more excitement. And now it with the diagnosis, it turned more like you said, into fear.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I I found out about my diagnosis as an adult and I can tell you that wasn't fun. So I can't imagine how it felt for a 13-year-old to find out something like that is going on. Was your diagnosis, was it like a planned medical checkup or was it your diagnosis just one of those things that just you just found out doing something
2: else? So that's a great question, Bray. So from what I've talked about with my parents about that visit to the clinic where I was diagnosed. They've known that I've had hepatitis B since they adopted me when I was five months old. There was no right time for either my mom or dad that they could think of to tell me. So they did the best they could and essentially just figured that the age of 13 would be, you know, that they had to tell me eventually and that that would be the time that they chose to, to do it. I'm pretty sure what happened was they called the University of Michigan, which is where I was um, receiving medical care at the time and talked to hepatologists hepatologist there, and probably my primary care physician was involved in this as well. And I'm sure it was coordinated as sort of just a, a diagnostic visit, if you could call it that.
1: That sounds, that sounds interesting. It's something
2: I've thought about a few times. And, you know, I, I've just come up with the answer that I don't think there's a necessarily a right time that I could have been told. It's, it's, it's sometimes hard for me to, to replay that day in my mind, because I, I tend to extrapolate a bit on what could have been if something went differently. And what I found is that that kind of thinking can be comforting in the short term, but in the long term, it can definitely misrepresent how, how you think about some things.
1: Sure. I mean, so w- would you say it was helpful that they shared this information with you or would you have wished that they, they, w- they would have held on a little longer before telling you?
2: The age, I think was fine I think the execution could have been handled a little differently whereas I had that initial diagnostic visit and from what I can remember I didn't have much follow-up after that I kind of was just left to my own thoughts for at least a few months there after that that visit I think that if they had told me later Mm -hmm. it could have been tricky because 13 14 you know is a pretty crucial age where, where a lot of change is happening And I think that they were a bit worried about what might have happened if I had entered high school and potentially college with no knowledge that I had hep B or anything like it. Sure,
1: that makes sense. So you do mention that your therapy was only focused on your suicide attempt. Was this helpful? And what feedback do you have to healthcare providers regarding treating people's mental health while living with hepatitis B?
2: The therapy I did receive pretty soon after that suicide attempt was cognitive behavioral therapy based with some psychoanalysis in there as well. I, I do believe it was helpful. A lot of the time, the principles and the exercises and kind of just the the self-reflection that you go through in therapy sometimes, mm-hmm. I believe that that can be applied to, to a lot of problems in, in one's life, regardless of if they have chronic illness or not, but just specifically for a lot of the the emotions that would come from from hep B related fears I had um, in the moment techniques that I learned in therapy could definitely get me to a less distressed state, which is which is really important.
1: I, I do agree with you. I think it's like you said, CBD is more big on trying to get you to think positively about situations and than focusing on the feeling. So I think in that side, I think you you make a great point about it being helpful. And I think I do hear a lot of people who think it kind of has been helpful to them as well. So thank you for sharing
2: that. Yeah, my pleasure. As far as advice or feedback I could give to healthcare providers about treating people's mental health while living with Hep B would be, and I'm not sure... Exactly how this could be done or what the legalities of it are, but I wish there were more communication networks between physicians, nurses, and then patients' therapists, um, or at least the type of questions that you usually receive at the clinic. I wish that it would be nice to see more providers asking mental health related questions. In my personal experience, and this might not be the same for everyone, but my physicians never talked about the mental health aspect of hepatitis B for me. And Mm. it kind of made me feel like I should be taking care of all that like myself or like it wasn't as important. And while I focused a lot on staying healthy and kind of doing a a friendly liver diet, a lot of things that the doctor and I talked about, I didn't talk about therapy unless I was in therapy with my therapist. And I think if I could have coordinated a bit and talked with my doctor about some things that were distressing me about hep B specifically mm-hmm. I think that there could have been some coordination there and some questions could have been answered and I know at that age and at any age people can have misconceptions or good information can even be warped over time depending on your who you're hearing it from so it would it would have been nice to kind of have that therapy and how my mental health was doing, like talked about more at a doctor's visits.
1: I do agree with you on, on that point, because I remember when I was diagnosed, as, as when I found out about my diagnosis, I was just like you. Uh, I didn't have to do any therapy, but it was more like I was on my own for, for some reason that the doctor. So my testing was done at a, a health department clinic. Nothing was said. They just gave me the results and That was it. And a copy of the result was sent to a doctor, as I was saying at that time. But the doctor was also moving out of state. So Uh it, it was a whole lot of stuff. Like, I didn't know. I just knew, okay, this is the results. But I didn't know what to do next, who to talk to and everything else. So, you know, that follows up. I was like, okay, what do I do? So what I did was I actually ended up doing a lot of research on my own and learning about hepatitis B and then trying to get myself a little bit motivated in a way so I don't have to think all the time about hepatitis B. So I did most of the work on my own before I was able to get to see another provider. And like you said, it's always good just to have that conversation or to know someone is there uh, as a provider that when you see them, you can have a little conversation, you know, to at least make you feel comfortable, make you feel like, yeah, somebody is there that if I need help, I can talk to you. And I think knowing that it will be really helpful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Being able to, to leave a doctor's visit with, with some confidence and, and information that, that can help you is crucial, I think. And that must've been such a chaotic period for you.
1: <laughs> Definitely. But, uh, I think, it gave me also the opportunity to kind of learn, you know, and That's
2: do a lot different. of
1: research. And I think it, it probably made me a better person and a better patient because I, I, I learned a lot and I'm able to now ask questions when I see a provider, I'm able to ask questions that I probably might not be able to do it when I was first diagnosed. So I guess we can say uh, it, it's,
2: good <laughs> <And they were laughs> yeah there's always so there seems to be silver linings through, through yeah. so many of the of the tough times and it, it's it's great that you took that opportunity and prepared yourself what was the common and-
0: thanks David for answering that question it, it sounds like that really treating health as an overall health instead of just physical right like it's our emotional it's our mental health as well this is just a general question about disclosure so if someone were to experience rejection, After disclosing their status to family, friends, or loved ones, um, what advice would you give to them? I know you mentioned you have a partner who you have two cats with, which is so nice. Mm -hmm. And so maybe talking about that personal experience.
2: It's it's tough to, to answer this because it seems like the rejection that I have experienced throughout my life in direct relation to Me having hepatitis B, it hasn't been with people that I would consider like very, very, very close. So with Gabriella and people that I was with before her, and people I I was romantically pursuing when I was in my twenties or in my teens, even I did experience a bit of rejection, and it was you know in different forms, but normally it was uh, having to do with romance and potentially having a um, sexual relationship with someone. I think what it took for me was a lot of trial and error as far to how to kind of think of myself as a happy patient in relation to the relationships I have with people. So it's kind of like if I were to experience rejection and when I did, the first thing I did was go inward and blame myself for what happened. And that really early on was one of my first experiences with rejection that after I was told by someone that they didn't want to be friends with me or hang out with me anymore because I disclosed my status to them, it sent me on a whirlwind of just trying to figure out what I did wrong. And it took me years to figure out that this wasn't anything I did. It was just someone else's perspective on the matter and how they handled that at the time. But with Gabriella, I met her before I turned 30. And by this point in my life, it sounds kind of robotic to say, but it's like almost like a script or like formulaic way I approach my happy status when dating or or meeting someone is that I try to give it some time. For me personally, I I remember when I was younger, I, I tended to talk about my hep B status as kind of like an opening fact I would tell about myself it would be like hey what's up I need to get this out of the way really quick but I have hepatitis B and these are the the risk factors involved this is all the information I have on it by the time I met Gabriella we went on several dates I didn't discuss hepatitis B with her at all and when the time came to where I thought that it would be appropriate to talk about that and necessary by that time we knew each other well enough to where I felt comfortable sitting her down for a serious talk. And I just essentially as calmly as I, as I could just explained my diagnosis and how long I've had it and what it means for our relationship and gave her some links with good information as well. And she was very, very, very receptive to that. She is a pretty well-read person and she knew her vaccination status all along. And after confirming with her doctor, it was essentially just an afterthought in our relationship. And For a lot of people, I know that your status and the potential of romance and or sexual intercourse with someone, it can really, it can really affect people negatively sometimes. Because I think, especially in other places in the world, there is a lot of stigma and discrimination based off hepatitis B. And a lot of people won't have the opportunity to have that conversation that I had with Gabriella in that context. And in that welcoming and kind environment where I was able to sort of get off my chest when I needed to, but not in a, in a way where it felt distressing in any way. It was a really healthy experience for both me and her.
0: That sounds like a, you know, a great healthy growing experience together when you disclosed your status.
2: So what I will add
1: to what David had shared with us is if you are someone who is going through this right now. All I want to say to you is we hear you and try not to blame yourself for this rejection that you are facing at this moment. If you are able and you have access, you can reach out to the Hepatitis B Foundation, also, hepbcommunity.org. And also, you can reach out to other organizations in the community that provide general healthcare services. There is always somebody who will be there to listen to you that you can talk to. And you you won't feel like you are being judged in a confidential manner. You'll be able to talk to somebody. Just know that you are not alone. There are so many thousands, millions of people out there with hepatitis B. And just know that you are not the only one who is probably facing this. So just try and reach out to any of these organizations in the community. And definitely there will always be someone ready to talk to you and uh, make you feel at home and make you feel comfortable and talk through things. And and I know it's not easy, it's not easy at all, but just try not to blame yourself. I know the first thing we do when stuff happens like this is we try to blame ourselves which doesn't help the problem it actually compounds it and adds more stress to our already stressed life so if you can just take a deep breath and just reach out
2: that's wonderful advice i think in times of distress personally finding my breath and just slowly in and out breathing it tends to bring me back to some pretty comforting thoughts i have and knowing what my support system looks like, and knowing that there are so many people out there that are waiting to help.
1: So David, sometimes our mental health can be affected if we are experiencing fears related to our Hep B status. This may include feeling of sadness, guilt, anxiety, hopelessness, despair, or loneliness what are ways to manage these emotions from your experience if you've been through i know everyone deals with distance differently what would you say was the ways that you used to manage some of these emotions
2: a lot of these feelings every single one on the list i've experienced multiple times and what i've always come back to for my entire life that i can remember is moving my body. When I'm going through feelings of sadness or depression or anxiety, hopelessness, getting out and moving has always made me feel better. And that could be in the form of a a long hike. It could be a run around the block. It could be strapping on my rollerblades and skating until I can't seem to skate anymore because I'm too tired. In the past, I've struggled with trying to kind of use my brain and just kind of outthink these these feelings. And that's just not the way that emotions work. For me, I've needed to experience negative emotions when they come to and and not directly react to them by using a coping mechanism such as like a distraction like TV or ignoring the emotion is something that has backfired on me time throughout my life. And just giving giving the feeling its own agency and like the respect that, you know, even if it's not a feeling that you're necessarily that you want, just kind of letting the feeling happen. And then after that, for me personally, I'm in a better place to, to take that next step as to how to approach, um, you know, dealing with that feeling in a healthy way. I think that movement is is such a huge part, but it's not the only part because it needs to be kind of a multi-pronged approach to where if I'm feeling very depressed, or very anxious about something. Essentially, I'm, I'm looking at my my belt like it's a tool belt. Getting out and moving is one of those tools. Journaling, whether that be on a computer or pen and paper, that has has really helped me throughout my life because when I get thoughts out on paper, it's much easier to look at them accurately. And I find when I have a lot of feelings that are swirling around in my head and I'm not getting them out, then they tend to just blend together. And it's hard to think about how to approach any of them, or what to do next, because it seems like you're just kind of caught in a tornado of emotions. And I think that alongside writing, for me, I, I've also, and this has been more of a recent development in my life, especially with meeting Gabriella, is using my support network and reaching out and talking to loved ones and family members when when I need to, because I think when... I'm connected with my loved ones the most is when I'm, I'm most content about how I can handle a depressive episode, for example, or say if I'm having a really hard week, I know that talking about it with Gabriella will make it easier for me to not overthink for one. And for two is to not judge myself too harshly, which is what has happened a lot in my past is when I would feel sad, And when I would think a little deeper on it, and when I would feel sad about something hepatitis B related, I would immediately feel guilty for feeling that way. And Mm -hmm. I think in my teenage years, I built up a bit of a complex to where I didn't want to feel emotions at all because it just caused me so much distress. And I didn't necessarily have a full tool belt at that time. But now, you know, in me in my 30s, You know, life is still life. It's still brings you things that you don't know if you can handle until they happen. And I think for me, it seems like the balance between how I'm processing emotions and how I'm reacting to them has really, really, really taken a turn for the positive in the last, I'd say, three to four years. But especially the last ten years. I mean, just feeling feelings in general. There was a long period in my life where I didn't want to feel feelings or felt like it wasn't a good thing if you felt hopelessness or something but i'm realizing now you know as all the things i've gone through since then is that those emotions happen for a reason and i needed to to get them out because i was going through a very hard time in my life
0: i think those are all great suggestions journaling reaching out to your support system and then the movement like you said right even like in any situation when i'm stressed too i like to get out and exercise and it releases endorphins so it makes you happier it does Yes. And it really gets out all that stressful energy, I think.
1: To add to that, I think it's if you are able to, you can also get into gardening, some form of artwork when they are feeling they are in this situation, they need to get themselves busy, you know, to kind of get the attention of what what is going on in their head or in their mind. So if you are that kind of person, just try and find something that you think is very healthy for you that you can do within you can always run to if you need to and so it could be just getting out and doing a walk or just taking a drive down the road with the windows down and just get that feeling just enjoy that drive if you are into gardening that that's another good thing as well so David I don't know if you experienced this but i think i don't know and i'm not sure if i speak for a lot of diabetic patients but it's like at some point when you even get headache your immediate reaction is you you kind of get anxious thinking about could this be my liver acting up could it be something going on you know with my hepatitis b so it's, it it feels like you are always on alert when you get this this uh, this stuff pops up like uh, it could be abdominal discomfort or abdominal pain or a headache or something and the immediate reaction is to go on to hepatitis B thinking could this be from my hepatitis B you know I mean I don't know if you've experienced something like that but I know I have I have experienced that where it, it's not something i consciously do but it's like i think it's just human nature that the first thing that will have to pop into my mind is to go there and i also have a few friends like one or two friends that i can go and vent to if i need to vent that that's another way that's something you can look out to you can find one or two uh, people that you can trust that you know they will provide an atmosphere and they, they will listen and give you the opportunity to vent without them judging you while you also know your privacy is being protected. If they allow you, just go ahead and vent. I think sometimes that also helps relieve some of the stress and the tension that you might we might hold in our system.
2: Oh, yeah. I can definitely directly relate to most of what you were talking about in regards to how we can treat other health issues that can pop up and how we kind of immediately go towards hepatitis B as a potential cause. I remember a lot through my teenage years and my early 20s, I had a lot of gastrointestinal issues, I'd have a lot of issues with acid reflux after eating. I would have pains a little bit below my liver and around my, my stomach. Um, and I would definitely have long periods of time where I go back and forth And I actually saw a few gastroenterologists about this to kind of confirm to myself what was going on. Mm -hmm. And that is a tough, that is a tough, one of the toughest parts of of HEP B. There's so many potential symptoms that that people can have and and patients are so buried with how they are affected by this disease to where I think it is appropriate and just like you said, it just natural for us. It's it makes sense that we would. Go to hepatitis B when when a, another health issue can pop up, and for me, it's it's still it still is a quite a challenge. I think when I think about my health in general, still is skewed with a hep Hep B is taking up the majority of my thoughts on my my general health overall. I kind of have to strike a balance and choose my moments to where mm-hmm. how much energy I'm going to put into. I mean, obviously, if it's something serious, and I think there could be you know connection, I would follow up on that. But for the most part, I kind of just in a way power through a lot of the moments where I I am kind of in questioning whether something that's going on with my body at the time is is related to Hep B. There's been times where I, I go out rollerblading and for some reason it seems like I I just don't have a quarter of the energy I'd I'd had on another day with with very similar circumstances. So it it does get me thinking sometimes, but I tend to try to just manage how much I think about that.
1: That's great. Thanks for sharing.
0: Yes. Thank you both for sharing. I'm going to encourage the audience to watch your Just Be video, of course. So obviously some more background information there, but how did you emerge from experiencing your negative emotions related to hepatitis B to becoming empowered to become a storyteller?
2: so, So for me, I think, you know, life is full of moments and, I had a lot of moments in my teens and my 20s that I think prepared me for the transitionary period that I had around the time where I made my Just Be video because the time around the time I made that video uh, 6 months prior I was talking to my hepatologist about potential liver biopsy and we didn't necessarily know what was causing um, some flare-ups in my liver with AST and ALT and it seemed like that period of time in my life was just very, very good timing for a lot of things that were happening. So I was in therapy at a center called Hands Across the Water, which was a therapy center that whose therapist focused on children of adopted families. I originally went to this therapist specifically to seek out my birth mother from South Korea. And this was a really hard time and a hard process for me that had been building up for, for, you know, most of my life. Uh, I, I've been curious multiple times about reaching out in that way. And I think what happened was I was doing all these really tough, you know, emotional tasks in therapy and succeeding at them. I ended up reaching out and hearing back from my birth mother and have forming a connection with her around the time of my biopsy. And I think all of these events lit something in me. I think that I had a lot of potential to become a storyteller throughout my life. But I think that when I was 30 years old, kind of just everything converged and it was the perfect time for, for me to discover advocacy. I remember after the biopsy, my liver came back, the results came back positive. Uh, for no damage at all. Everything was, was great and fine with, with my liver as in regards to damage to it. I did start a medication uh, under the advice of my hepatologist. And what I think happened was I was feeling so much positivity and everything was kind of rolling in the right direction around that time that I think I was just in a state of mind where I was empowered to make the best decisions possible for myself at that time. What I remember is seeking out information kind of relating back to what you were talking about bright when you said you just you know poured yourself into research a bit after that initial diagnosis and i i kind of had my moment of reaching out into the the broader community of hepatitis and hepatitis b Mm -hmm. and i found the Hep B foundation through facebook and that was just kind of a watershed moment and so where i was just taken aback at how much how powerful that organization is. And just powerful in the sense of just the wonderful humans that that work there and, and, and all the work that patients have done with them, I saw a just be video, and I was kind of feeling lost at that time, just searching for what to do next, because I had just been giving this daily medication prescription. And I kind of had the mentality of, you know, well, I'm just, I guess I'm just taking this medication and managing this still, but I just felt something was missing when I saw another person's Just Be video and watched it. I mean, I was crying my eyes out and just I felt completely connected to that video and the person's experience. It's kind of just like a a light bulb moment to where I said to myself, "There are so many more wonderful, kind-hearted, powerful people that are telling their stories, and if I could." potentially give someone the feeling that I just got from watching this video, that would make me feel like I have my hepatitis B more under control. And living with it, sort of accepting that Hep B is a part of my life and that I want to be active in that part of my life, not passive. And I think that that thought and that video just lit enough of a fire in me to where when I received a message from a staff member that's no longer at the Hep B Foundation, and she was wonderful and just telling me a bit about the foundation and mm-hmm. telling me a bit about the storytelling workshop. And after a sh- pretty short conversation over Messenger, I was already ready to get on a plane and make my own story. And I think that from that experience in the hashtag just be workshop and all the patients I'm at all the staff I met during that time, it was such a powerful experience for me that it has kind of just felt like a plane that took off and is just, you know, I'm on track now.
0: I like that analogy. Yeah, it sounds like you took a little bit for you to get to be a Just Be storyteller, but then it just all fell into place and it felt right, which is amazing. Yeah. And I think- a lot of people also have that journey, from what I have heard. It's like it just felt right to volunteer as a storyteller, where they stumbled across it on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, maybe, and they they become a storyteller. They empower themselves and they empower others, which is great.
1: I mean, I I agree with Dave, everything David have shared, and I think to me, I, I went through the same situation where. But this is what I, I find so fascinating about the whole process. So my first two or three years after that diagnosis was a battle. I mean, it it was like I was just battling all these emotions. And it, it it was tough. It was some darkest moments of my life because I didn't know who to talk to and I wasn't ready to talk to my family in Ghana about this. Because at that point, I had just lost my mom a, a few years before that, and my family was still struggling from that loss. And so when I found out about this my diagnosis, I was like, ah, there's no way I can talk to my family about this." So my family was completely off at that point. And then just dealing with the whatnot and all that, just trying to process this whole thing, I think it took me about three or four years. And I finally came to a point in a process where, like David had mentioned at the end of his statement, like, I just felt like, okay, this is it for me. I, I accept this. This is part of me now. And so... Instead of trying to fight it, I just accepted that this is part of me and I just need to find a way to manage it. Once I got to that point, it looks like I got some sort of confidence, some sort of energy. It was a good feeling. I mean, I didn't have to fight those negative thoughts as much as I did earlier on once I reached that level. It motivated me and it also helped me go through a research and. Through one of the research that came along, the JSB telling, and I reached out to Rhea. She said she'll let me know when the next opening. And so the following year, that was when the next opening was available and she reached out again. Because I was at peace with myself and I've accepted hepatitis B as being part of me, I was able to talk about it freely for the first time. That was actually the first time I spoke about hepatitis B in a group setting with other p- people who were also hepatitis B but also people I didn't even know but I was it was all right for me to share I I, I wasn't afraid you know and I wasn't worried someone was going to tell someone else that I have hepatitis B and all those at that point it just felt it just felt so good it was like I was just at peace and I was just at a point where I was like This feels good, but it it was a process where I have to battle, and then I got to that point. And ever since that point, I don't think I've ever looked back. Just like David said, it's like a plane that took off, and it's still in the air, still flying. That that was my experience as well. That's
0: awesome.
1: So sometimes people need medication to manage their mental health. Were you on medication while taking hepatitis B medication as well, or... Were they at two different different times?
2: So in my experience, I was on mental health medications, more specifically Prozac, when I was initially brought to a psychiatrist after the suicide attempt. I remember I was not in a state to work with the psychiatrist. Essentially, when you're on a, a mental health medication, a huge part of it is reporting back to your prescriber of how the medication is affecting you. And mm-hmm. this is, can be a very, very hard thing to do, especially when you're in a distressed state. A lot of the thoughts that you'll have are a bit extrapolated and you're, you're overly critical of yourself. And for me, I was on medications sporadically throughout mm-hmm. my teens. And in my twenties, I, I took an approach of, I didn't like how the experience went for me with medications in my teens. But what I do know for sure is that for a lot of people, and you know, the the scientific evidence is uh, is already out there that these medications will work if you work with your prescriber and take them in the correct way. For me, the issue comes with side effects. And it's kind of a constant conversation I have with myself. It's never, it's never finished. And I try to evaluate myself as much as I can, but tend to do it at least four or five times a year or I'll have a sit down with myself and really think about if medication could benefit me or not. Since I started taking hepatitis B medication, I've maintained therapy. In for some ways, I'm currently not in therapy. It's essentially a really personal decision. And, and it can be hard for a lot of people because there's so much disinformation around there mm-hmm. in regards to, to medications and mental health. Sure. But I think that being able to have a serious... An honest conversation with yourself, and then being open to discussing with your provider of what's going on and, and your thoughts on the matter. Because I think a lot of times what can happen is that a person can, for me, uh, from my experience, I reported to my psychiatrists throughout you know my life, the few I've seen that I was going through mental distress and open to taking medications, and the problem was that. I thought I was committed, but I wasn't. What I would say is that my experience when I was most confident in a decision about whether I, I was going to take medication or not was how my other supports were, were functioning. Whereas a lot of times in therapy mm-hmm. and a lot of times when people come to physicians with mental health problems, there are multi-pronged approaches to how people are treated. And this can include therapy in its different forms, medication and support network out of your personal support network can also be a huge part of your decision making process as far as managing your mental health. For me, the answer is still I'm managing my life in a way where I feel like the benefits of medication would not outweigh the negatives. Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to especially if you have um, mental health issues and mental health issues that are that are chronic. That you evaluate yourself regularly and have conversations with yourself about things like this. Because I think that what can happen sometimes is that people can develop a aversion or either a positive spin on medication or or a negative view towards them. And I think that it's it can be dangerous to think that way. And that yeah. having these conversations with your provider after you know the the kind of self-reflection is is super important because I think that mental health is not a not a one and done thing. It's an, it's an everyday process. And I think that our emotions and how we're feeling about certain things can change over time too. So it's really important to have that, that checkup with yourself and then respond accordingly. If there is a time where you think you're in so much distress that medication could help, I think it's important to be able to have a network to where you can ask the right person that question when it comes up. I
0: think that's a great perspective on medication. And it's good to know that you can take it with your hepatitis B medication. So it doesn't, you know, interact in any negative way, which is really helpful. To wrap up our episode, we just wanted to know what is your final advice or comment to anyone listening to this podcast episode?
2: I think I'm going to have to piggyback a little bit off, off this just amazing quote that bright had earlier about i would say that my final advice to anyone listening be it someone living with hepatitis b caregiver family friend provider would be first that you you aren't alone and that there are millions upon millions of people that live with this just as you do there are support networks available for people if they seek them out i would highly recommend the happy community forums because i think a lot of questions that people not might not be able to ask their people in their real life or physically, I think that that can be a very, very good medium for people that that need to to ask questions and to talk about hepatitis B with a supportive community, but not necessarily making the the giant leaps. But I would also say that if you feel that you have it in you, and you feel there's something missing, in your life as a hepatitis B patient and how it relates to you, then I think taking the leap as many people have done and telling your your hepatitis B story, I think that is so, so, so powerful. And I have the evidence to back it up because I wouldn't be on this podcast if I didn't watch someone else's video. And it's so important to know that you aren't alone, but also that there are people that are struggling in similar ways to you and that you're supported and that you feel confident in your life as a hepatitis B patient. And I think that reaching out, whatever that looks like for you is always a good decision.
1: Well said, David. Thank you very much.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for coming on the podcast and providing your sage advice and comments and telling and sharing your story with us. Um, Thank you.
2: Thank you too. This was such a great experience for me. And this is something that I specifically love to talk about in relation to hepatitis B. So I'm I'm so thankful for the opportunity.
0: If you enjoy listening to Be Happy, please give it a review and consider supporting our program with a link to donate in the description. Thank you for listening to this episode. Stay tuned and subscribe for future episodes about hepatitis B. If you have any questions, please direct them to info at hepb.org. We greatly appreciate all your support and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.